Tappers, what's up? It is the Tuesday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope you're doing well on this hazy Tuesday morning here in Milwaukee. Not sure what it's like elsewhere in the great state of Wisconsin or wherever you are listening. We are going to talk today about Game 4. Why that this will pretty much determine the series. Um, Whether we are going to have a deep series or maybe a coronation for the Phoenix Suns. Next, we'll talk about the Milwaukee Brewers and who would be most likely to win a home run derby out of the Brewers players in lieu of last night's derby. We'll talk, talk about, also talk about the idea of potentially bringing in Joey Gallo as a trade piece for the Milwaukee Brewers as well. Um, and then we'll talk about how the Bucks and maybe a little dash of the Brewers have helped us just not care too much about football and that why that's a good thing given the climate that we're in with Aaron Rodgers. But let's start with the Milwaukee Bucks. So the Milwaukee Bucks get ready to play the Phoenix Suns on Wednesday night. We have quite the layoff here. I personally would prefer to have the game tonight um, and sort of keep this thing rolling. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I just am in the mindset that not necessarily wanting the series to be over. But I just want to like continue on. I think from a podcast perspective, it helps me when these guys are playing pretty regularly and we have a couple of days off. So we, we have to obviously fill the gaps and can only go so far with you know your, your videos and the hot takes and everything else. But as we talk about game four, it is going to be a deciding game. Um, I'm sure Mike Breen will get on the call and say something like that, that this is a deciding game, whether we are going to have maybe six games guaranteed or if we're going to look at a potential Suns sort of celebration, if you will. But obviously we'll talk about the first part and not the second part. I have never felt more confident about a team being down 2-1 than I am with the Milwaukee Bucks. And some would say, Charlie, you are doing this to yourself. You are trusting the box. You know what happens when you trust the box. Look, I get it. But I think Giannis is just on another level right now. You guys heard me do the podcast on Monday where we kind of talked about where Giannis is going. And we talked about how even if this ends poorly, that so many other great ones have ended their their first finals run without a championship. So that is okay because this is only just the beginning. I know there will be some because of Brooklyn and what Brooklyn brings to the table that Brooklyn's, that Milwaukee's window will close and Brooklyn's window will open. I will also ask you, what's your favorite Brooklyn healthy, healthy moment of the year? Because there isn't one, okay? Just because Brooklyn has the players doesn't mean it'll all come together. We haven't seen it yet, so why should we believe it now? That's why I still contend that the Bucks window is open. But I am confident in this basketball team because I felt like they exploited the Phoenix Suns. I felt like we are seeing a similar trend as we've seen with the Brooklyn series, as we've seen with the Atlanta series, and now we're seeing with Phoenix where Milwaukee needed a couple games to get settled in. Once they got settled in, once they figured out what they needed to do both offensively and defensively, they were the best team on the court. And sort of lurking their prey almost. I wouldn't even say it's a rope-a-dope. 
because that's not that's necessarily not what it is, but it's more the Bucks needing to sort of play the games to really see what adjustments are needed. We are obsessed with adjustments. We've become almost. I would say addicted to the the word adjustments, where it's like we gotta make adjustments, we gotta make adjustments, yada yada, and, and and it's not just a basketball thing, really. Baseball, there aren't really that many adjustments you can make, lineups, relievers, maybe, but like football and basketball, I think people are obsessed with using the word adjustments because it's such a catch-all. If we say, oh yeah, well, Bud has to make adjustments, or Bud made these adjustments. It's like an immediate like get out of jail free card versus actually talking about what the Bucks are trying to do. You know, they cut off the corner three. Drew Holiday is hounding Chris Paul. You have the Bucks, you know, making sure they're cutting a little harder on those pick and rolls. Giannis, as the roll guy yesterday, I thought cut so hard. The Bucks bench is a little bit different with a little more Jeff Teague and a little more Pat Content, which I know makes everybody kind of cringe up inside. But those are all different adjustments that have been made. That said, I don't know how many more are needed because I think the Bucks have their game plan. I think they have their blueprint to attack DeAndre Ayton and get him into foul trouble early and often because if they do, Phoenix has no answer and to shut down the corner. They allowed three corner threes in the third, third game. I imagine they will try to do something similar. There is a, I'm sure, a lot of hype that will be around a Devin Booker revenge game. I think P.J. Tucker frustrated Devin Booker. Just P.J. Tucker's physicality. I know they know each other really well, actually. They play together a lot in the summer. And I think the physical part of P.J. Tucker kind of really got into Devin Booker. And I don't know if that was a, a move made earlier or not. But yeah, we have Booker on, Tucker on Booker. We have Holiday on Paul. And they're not switching as much with those guys. Those guys are not getting the switches as they used to. It's like we're sticking, we're fighting through screens, we're making an emphasis of that, and we're going to make it happen. And in terms of the offense, I mean, we know what Giannis is capable against no matter who's on the court for Phoenix. Giannis is just an unstoppable beast, and it would be almost ignorant to not expect Giannis to have 35 points. I know that's crazy. His over-under, I think, was 36, uh, yes, last game, and he can easily do it again. I don't think there's any, you know, there's any, like, if he goes for 40 again, I would not be surprised. And I know they're going to try to slow down Giannis. I know they're going to try to maybe get Giannis in the foul trouble, whether that's flopping, try to get him an offensive foul. But I got to tell you, I think Giannis might have earned the respect of the officials. I know we've bitched about that for so many years. I know I'm setting myself up here because I know like it'll be game four and Giannis will get two quick offensive fouls and be like, well, fuck that. It, it wasn't true at all. But think about this. Giannis has shot 33, 30 free throws in the last two games. He is a total of, what is that, nine for 13 do the math there chuck 22 of 30 so not not great but he's only missed four three free throws in each of his last two games so a total of eight obviously you see how this math works but i do think Giannis is starting to get that superstar respect from officials so i don't even know if that's going to work but I do imagine you're going to see that. I imagine you're going to see some hard fouls. They're going to try to throw Giannis off his game early and often. Will it work? I don't know. The guy has been so mentally locked in, so mentally tough, that he really has not seemed rattled 
this playoffs. Playoffs. Like, I, I think Giannis has really sort of taken his game to that next level. And part of that is staying sort of locked in. Sort of having that locked in mentality and that nothing is really going to throw you off your game. For Milwaukee to win, though, they're going to need either Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton to step up. As my friend Eric says, there's something about the Bucks where Holiday and Middleton can't have a good game together. It's just not possible. I would argue that game two, game three did have some good Middleton moments. That Middleton and Holiday were actually playing pretty well in the first first half together. Now Middleton faded off, but I, as I've contended, I don't think the Bucks needed Chris Middleton on game three, and so Chris Middleton kind of just faded into the shadows. He's like, "All right, you guys have this." Like, I do not need to exert energy here, and I can just sort of, I wouldn't say rest, but I can just get myself ready for game four, and if I need to be called on, I'm ready to go. And it would not surprise me in the slightest if we got a Chris Middleton game here. I feel like we're kind of inching towards it, that he's had a few bad ones, that usually this is the trend, that now we start seeing Chris Middleton just come to life. Like a 20-point quarter, I don't think is out of the question for meds. Um, so it, it could be lurking there. We'll see. Maybe not. Maybe we have to make peace that Middleton just, this is a bad matchup for him. And he's not able to do the things that he did against Atlanta and Brooklyn. But we'll, we'll put a pin in that because we don't know. But yeah, it, it's going to be a massive game for the Bucs. But I don't think they're going to be nervous. I think having the home crowd is going to be a huge factor. They were awesome in Game 3. They will be awesome again in Game 4. I'm not necessarily worried about this for the Bucks, but for the Phoenix Suns. If the Phoenix Suns do make the quote-unquote adjustments, they do figure out a way to throw off Giannis, they shut down Holiday and Middleton, and the Phoenix Suns come out of this victorious and take a 3-1 lead with putting the Bucks on the brink of elimination, there will be a celebration that has already started for the Phoenix Suns. Everybody will go crazy. It will be a atmosphere unlike anything else in Phoenix for Game 5. They have a great crowd, a crowd that was once sort of there and, and became dormant because of bad spending and bad ownership and everything else for years and years. But that is the crowd that Barkley and others you know reveled in throughout the years. But I will say, even if it's 3-1, don't sleep on the fact that the Bucks can't put themselves back in a position to maybe force it into seven. I know that sounds crazy. I know you're like, Charlie, what are you talking about? But think about this. Chris Paul will have will be on the cusp of a championship. Chris Paul had a 3-1 lead against the Clippers, and then they choked it away, and it was 3-2. Now, they came out, they beat the Clippers' ass in game number six, and it didn't matter. I don't know if they can get away with that similar shit against the Bucks. If they don't win game five, it is going to be very tough on Phoenix because you go back to Milwaukee for game six and then game seven's in, in Phoenix, back in Phoenix, and it's a free-for-all. And who knows what that looks like. And with the Suns fan base that hasn't won a title, it's going to be tighter in there. It's not going to be as rowdy. It's not going to be that party. There's going to be a little more tense and a little more attention and a little more, you know, sort of feeling of, oh my God, are we going to blow this sort of thing versus this sort of, 
unbelievable, just balls to the walls from start to finish each each game. So I'm not ready to throw in the towel, even if the Phoenix Suns end up victorious on Wednesday night. I just am not. It, I mean, it would depend on the game, right? But like, let's just say, and this would break my heart, but let's just say Devin Booker hits two big shots late and the Suns end up winning 112 to 110. And that's the game. And Booker hits some big shots. Uh, Middleton comes up short on his and it's 112-110. Game was a toss-up. It could have been either way. I would say, all right, they can still win game five. I'm not going to waver from my confidence. And I know everybody will be ready to crown them in two days leading up. So like first take, Bill Simmons, Cercillo, all these other, PMT, all these other people will be ready to be like, all right, Suns in five, yada, yada. And it will just kind of permeate. And I think it will motivate the Bucks. I think one of the things that cannot be slept on is how mentally tough this Milwaukee Bucks roster is. They have been through it all in these playoffs and they are ready for anything. And even if they were down 3-1, I would not doubt them in the slightest. So we'll see what happens in Game 4. My personal prediction is that the Bucks win. I think it's a lot closer. I think they win by about 6 or 7. Um, I think you have another really big Giannis game. I think Chris Middleton comes to play. And I think Drew Holiday also has, has some moments too. Maybe a little more defensively than offensively. But Drew has moments as well. And the Bucks come out of here with another win and we have a guaranteed game six and the Bucks momentum will continue to roll. Moving topics to the Milwaukee Brewers. We're not really going to talk about what happened with the Brewers over the weekend. I think that's something we can save for Thursday's show uh, for the Daily Tap and kind of talk through Cincinnati and whether we really need to start worrying about Cincinnati, whether Cincinnati is a true concern. Actually, we won't do that on Thursday because that'll be a Bucks finals recap, but we will we will talk about it. Mitch and I have a tabbing the keg on Thursday, so probably do it then um, and say, are we really actually going to start worrying about Cincinnati? Because there is, I think, a sense right now that Cincinnati might have the Brewers number. But we're going to talk about something a little more fun uh, because yesterday was the home run derby. They were launching it out of Coors. Um, it was must-see TV until it wasn't, right? Like the first round was crazy. You had Matt Olson nearly beats Trevor Story. Or, um, yeah, was it Trevor Story? Yeah. Trey Mancini. Oh, no, Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini. Matt Olson nearly beats Trevor Story. Joey... I screwed that up. Matt Olson nearly beats Trey Mancini. You had Trevor Story just inching by Joey Gallo. You had the Homer sort of swing off between uh, Shohei Otani and Juan Soto. You had Pete Alonso hitting 35 home runs. And like you see in a lot of home run derbies, they kind of shot their wad in the first, first round. The first round was electric. The first round was so much fun. And then after that, it kind of just sort of faded away. And it became the Pete Alonso show. And Pete Alonso goes back to back. And it hurt to find out to this morning that Pete Alonso could have been a Milwaukee Brewer. Yet we decided to draft Lucic, Lu, Lucas Ersig and said, for those playing at home, Ersig was trying to become a two-way player like he's Shohei. Um, so that's great. Um, he's not even anywhere in the big leagues. He's just sort of trying to be a two-way guy. So that's good. It's good that we drafted him instead of uh, Pete Alonso. I know baseball drafts are fucking unpredictable, but it still will always put a salt in your wound. 
So as a, a fun little thing, I was like, well, who would win a home run derby for the Milwaukee Brewers? The Milwaukee Brewers hosted a home run derby, like a personal home run derby. Who would you put in that sort of like top tier? How would you seed it? What would you do? Um, we're going to assume that everybody is healthy, okay? So we're just going to say they're healthy, all right? Like, let's let's have some fun with it, all right? I would put Avisail Garcia as the one seed. He has 16 home runs on the year. He deserves to have that one seed spot for him. I think that Avi Garcia would be a great home run derby participant. I think he, he has a stroke that is similar to Miguel Cabrera's, as, as we all know. And I, I just think he has a chance to to make an impact in a, in a home run derby. Number two, I would put Willie Adamas. I think Willie Adamas is another guy who I think would be awesome in a home run derby. I think he could really sort of bring it um, and definitely have a something to say, right? And it has that, that sort of deep power that you need in that quick bat speed. Number three, I would probably put Tyrone Taylor. Tyrone Taylor, another guy who has just unbelievable power, can really sort of stroke it. And, and that's where I would go. And I'm probably putting Dan Vogelbach too too far behind. Dan Vogelbach is built for home run derbies. Dan Vogelbach has that Prince Fielder, that Mo Vaughn, that ability to just hit tanks. I should definitely put Dan Vogelbach higher. His matchup versus Travis Shaw would be electric. I think Travis Shaw is another guy who could really make a case in a home run derby. Has that great swing, that sort of golf sit out there that I think would really play in a home run derby. Um, Christian Yelich. Um, so I haven't forgotten about Christian Yelich. I just don't know if Christian Yelich has a home run swing anymore. I don't know what's happened to Christian Yelich's power. I know he has an absurd OBP, and and there there's a lot of things to like about Christian Yelich. He still has a 1.1 WAR, but he hasn't really been the Christian Yelich of, of old. I'm still gonna put him in there as a sort of ceremonial pick. But yeah, I don't. <laughs> I haven't liked a lot what I've seen from Christian Yelich. Luis Urias, we have to put him in there, right? Even though Urias is like 5'7", he's shorter than shit, but he's had 12 home runs this year. Like, as I said after his 11th home run, I did not have 11 home runs at the All-Star break for Luis Urias on my bingo card. And he's doing it, man. What a year so far for Urias. Um, a, a guy that I think we definitely left for dead. Another guy we left for dead that I did not include, but I, I just don't think he has like... That homer swing, I think it's more of a double swing as Omar Nervaez. Like Omar Nervaez is having a great year. He's an all-star. He's averaging 300. He's hit, had eight home runs. He's has a war of 2.3. Like He's been very valuable. I think that's the highest war on the team, actually. He's been the most, technically, if you go by war, he's been the most valuable player on the team with Adamas and Colton Wong both also having twos in the Brewers batting order. But Nervaez doesn't really have that home run swing. It's more of a double swing, in my opinion. And when and sometimes it elevates and goes out of the yard. That's a personal opinion. I mean, he has 12 doubles. He's right around the team lead. Damas and Colton Wong lead that at 15. So as for the Brewers and their homer power and their power in general, Joey Gallo is another rental that could be available for the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, I'd have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure the Brewers had some interest in Joey Gallo way back when. 
uh, when he was a prospect and the Texas Rangers were trying to do a deal with the Brewers and they they did one. I mean, I, who was that? What was the deal? Was that the Carlos Gomez deal? So when the Brewers wanted to make a move, uh, when they sent out Jonathan Lucroy in 2016 and Jeremy Jeffries, um, that was the Rangers acquired those guys. Uh, they sent Lewis Brinson, Luis Ortiz, and a player to be named later. Uh, you can remember Lucroy blocked a deal for the Brewers to go to Cleveland. The Brewers would then turn around and trade Lewis Brinson as part of the Christian Yelich trade. So in a lot of ways, the Rangers started the Christian Yelich trade by giving the Brewers Lewis Brinson. Um, and I remember at the time, a lot of us wanted Joey Gallo. We were banging on the door for Joey Gallo. But Joey Gallo was probably unrealistic for what the Brewers were giving up with Jonathan Lucroy. So now you have Joey Gallo again. He's now a free agent uh, next year. He's a rental. Um, it seems like Joey Gallo is out. Um, I, I, don't, I feel like nobody caught that on the broadcast. And maybe that is baseball's antiquated ways. Where Gallo's like, I wanted to do one home run derby with the Rangers. Um, I'm a free agent next year. And I'm like, oh, he's going to leave. He's not. Like, he's, I'm like, how did nobody pick up on this? Like, Joey Gallo basically is like, I'm done in Texas. And maybe he thinks he's going to get traded. Um, maybe him and his agent know that, that they're going to look for trades. I think, obviously, there will be a lot of interest in Joey Gallo. He has absurd power from the left side. He doesn't really hit for average. He is maybe a better version of a Russell Brannion. But if you added Joey Gallo to the Milwaukee Brewers offense with that short porch in left and right field, holy hell, he would hit absolute tanks at Miller Park. And he would make the Brewers, you know, a very dangerous offense. That you had that ability to kind of stack Gallo in the way to protect him and to make sure that he has guys on. So he has multiple runners on. And so whether he's hitting behind Garcia and you have a lineup where it's Yelich, Narvaez, Garcia, Gallo. I, I mean, that would be very tough on a lot of teams. I don't think a lot of teams would welcome that sort of thing. Plays a decent enough first base as well where he could kind of take everyday first base duties. Now, if you're the Brewers, would you give up like a Keston Hira for Joey Gallo? Absolutely not. He's a rental. You do not, I don't think you give up on Keston Hira. Some people thought Keston Hira was going to lead the league in average and had one of the best swings in baseball. I'm not giving up on that just because he's a bad season. He's going through a lot of shit right now uh, with his family. So I, I'm not ready to throw Keston Hira out of the mix. I do think, you know, if you have to give up a guy such as an Ethan Small or a Corey Ray, I think you do that. I remember there was a deal for Trevor Story that had both those guys. And if that was the case, I would make sure both Ethan Small and Corey Ray got to Colorado. And I still wouldn't wouldn't put it past the Brewers to look at Trevor Story, right? Even though Willie, Willie Adamas has been great and Luis Urias has been great, Cole Long's had a bunch of injury issues. And would you have an upgrade with Trevor Story playing short and Adamas in third versus Adamas and Urias? Yes. I do think Urias has been shit on by a lot of people. I think the Brewers have sort of shit on him in a little bit as well. And he sort of had his redemption arc this season. But I did think there was good reason to not trust Urias because he's had so many he had so many issues at as a in out infielder and it was just inexcusable and it seemed like the Brewers were going nowhere at the shortstop position 
and they figured it out. I had a shortstop take uh, back on Snowtap WI about a month, month and a half ago that's kind of aged poorly because you've seen what Adamas has been able to do and you've seen Urias sort of find himself at the plate and sort of, I think, motivated by a guy like Adamas. But if they got Trevor Story, they're just a better team, simply put. So I do think that there are deals that the Brewers could make for Gallo and any really rental. I don't. I know I floated out to some friends that Freddie Freeman, because Freddie Freeman also a rental uh, this season, and now Ronald Acuna goes down with an ACL tear. You have to think the Braves are going to at least think about Freddie Freeman as a deal, right? Like they have to at least consider maybe dealing and offloading Freddie Freeman if you don't think he's going to sign next season. But Freddie Freeman also has been a Brave for life. They could be making sure he comes back and finishes his career as an Atlanta Brave. I highly doubt they would trade Freddie Freeman. I'd be very surprised. But yes, I do think Gallo is available. I think there's a real possibility. I think Gallo would love playing for the Brewers, just given that porch out in right field. And I don't think it would be too expensive to get him. All right, wrapping up the show quickly. So I, I just wanted to mention, I don't know if you guys know this or you guys are aware, maybe you are, but the fact is, is we are 14 days away from NFL training camp. So till the Packers start their training camp and maybe Aaron Rodgers comes back, maybe Aaron Rodgers doesn't. Um, it will be really funny if Rodgers does arrive on time at training camp. A lot, and I mean a lot of people are going to look very stupid. And it's, it's on the table. It's very possible. But right now, we have so much going on in Wisconsin sports that no one really cares about the Packers. And I'd argue that that is a good thing. That is a good thing that we are so dialed in with the Milwaukee Bucks and that the Milwaukee Brewers are giving us hope that they're the next team up, that they have next this year, that we can kind of ignore what's going on with the Green Bay Packers. That's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing because right now it's all conjecture. No one has any idea. I heard Kevin Clark yesterday say from the ringer, say, oh, well, I think Rogers is going to come back and that's going to be kind of a one-year thing and they're going to trade him. They, maybe they will, but maybe they won't. Maybe they won't. Maybe this is the start of a new era with Rogers, and maybe they won't make him a lame duck quarterback. I have no idea. Um, I think being in person, time heals all. I know Rodgers doesn't really like training camp, so there is a holdout potential, but I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think Rodgers holds out. I think he comes back, but no one's but no one's talking about it because the Bucks and Brewers are filling up timelines, and that's what people are talking about, and that is exactly how you want sports to be because we don't need to be hanging on every training camp topic. I can't tell you how obnoxious I would be on this podcast if I had to fill anywhere from 30 to 40 minutes and we didn't have the Bucks in the, in the finals, we had maybe a bad Brewer team, we'd only have the Packers and we'd be like, I don't even know what to expect with Green Bay right now. I have no idea what the, that expectation should be. I haven't looked to see if their over-under is there. I feel like if you are going, if you are better and you want to grab that over-under, if it's available before you know about Rodgers, I think it's worth the risk. I think they were maybe only a nine in terms of over-under at this point. So maybe just grab it and trust that Rodgers will be back. And we'll see about the whole last dance thing. We'll see if that's true. I 
That's basically what Kevin Clark insinuated. But how does Kevin Clark know, right? He didn't really say it was sourced. He just said, that's kind of what I think is going to happen. And I think everybody will then stick to that topic point. That will be the funny thing is everybody will move from Aaron Rodgers wants out. Aaron Rodgers wants to be traded. He's a male content, all that shit to, well, this is kind of going to be a last dance year for Rodgers. And then they'll just trade him after the season's over. It's, it's just how it works. It's really frustrating. Uh, but that, you know, that's media for you. Um, and I'm not surprised in the slightest. All right. That will do it for our show. Um, we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Daily Tap. Probably do something fun, um, just given the fact that we're kind of in a dull period uh, when the finals aren't on. Then Thursday, I will be back to talk finals recap with you about game number four. We'll have Mitch on for Friday's show to talk tapping the keg. Obviously, Bucks, Suns, Brewers, maybe even a dash of Packers. We'll see. And then that will be the week of shows. I will probably do a show on Sunday, by the way. Uh, game five is on Saturday. I think I'll be able to get a Sunday show out. I don't, I don't know if I'll promise it in the morning, but we'll definitely try to get it out by the midday, um, probably after the British Open's over, honestly, for for being honest, I, I will probably consume my morning watching the British Open or the Open Championship uh, for the non-plebes. All right, take care of yourself. Have a, have a good Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow. All right, see you. Bye.